It's episode 19 of the We Geeks it podcast. Is almost at 20. Yeah, next week will be 20. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Nathaniel Dodson at Tutvid, and he's Howard Pinsky. You can follow him at Iceflow Studios, and you can also follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Is that correct? Yes, we are on iTunes, uh, which right now is our biggest listen. listen wow, I can't even speak. You've it's drinking. our biggest. I have not. It's water. This is water. Even though it's red, it's completely water. Um, uh, iTunes is our big, biggest listener base, and we haven't had many reviews. We did have one additional review since the last episode, but it wasn't uh, an actual like comment review. So mm-hmm. head over to iTunes and leave us comments on what you think of the show. But if you want to comment along with us, actually head over to SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash wegeeks. You can also find the iTunes link on soundcloud.com slash wegeeks, and you can comment along with us. So if we say something really interesting, you can comment and give your opinion. And uh, it's kind of cool. It's pretty neat. And yeah. we also are on Stitcher, which very few people are actually using. So that's that's it for that. And we're on Patreon. And I do want to give a big shout out to our latest patrons. And we do this every single week to show mm-hmm. our support for Absolutely. those who are showing support to us. So this week we have Jordan, Michael, Genevieve, Caleb, and... Uh, do I mention Valdez? I'll mention Valdez, but I won't, won't mention, mention his website till he fixes his payment issues. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I believe this is the week that Michael upped his patronage. Is that what you would call it through Patreon? He did, yeah. So Michael was... is loving the podcast, and he uh, he upped his support. So we uh, hopefully at some point we'll do more podcasts, maybe two a week or one bigger episode per month. I don't know. We'll figure something out. But thank you, Michael, for for contributing a little bit more every single month. Yes, and as we go through the podcast, uh, you can check out any of the information we talk about, see some images, screenshots, photos, whatever, and links to further check everything out over on my website. That's tutfit.com slash wegeeks slash episode 19. And as always, that's the number 19. Indeed. So how was your week? Uh, pretty good. Everything's been good. Things have been crazy busy, ramping things up with Tutvid finally. It's I been... saw you posted another Photoshop tutorial. You, you've been posting your Tutvid issues, which is really cool. And you posted another Photoshop tutorial, which I haven't seen one from you in quite some time. Yeah, I think my last tutorial came out in January. There was a major change in my life back in early summer of 2011. Um, and Tutvid has never quite been the same since then. Um, but it, it, it's getting to the point where I just need to rebuild, rebuild the site, rebuild the listening base. Um, and it's, an, it's, it's, it's super exciting for me because while I'm not getting the traffic that I want, I'm nowhere near where I want to be. Um, things are going crazy. I mean, like level of interaction is up five times, uh, in like the last week and a half, just because of the articles and now a tutorial coming out and content is going to get way more regular. So I'm really, really pumped, really excited about that. Um, yeah. And it's just, so it's been a great week of that. Been just insanely busy recording multiple tutorials every day, building up a good stockpile of content. Um, I just built a, um, a shooting table last night. I went to the store and I found this really cool, like world printed on canvas piece of artwork, this big, you know, piece of artwork you would hang on the walls, like 50 bucks, bought it, 
ripped the canvas out of it, got rid of the frame, and mounted it on a piece of plywood so I can just lay it down on, you know, a table and mount a camera above it and shoot, like, graft out stuff if I'm explaining. I'm, I mean, I'm working on this little video now sort of illustrating the difference between Illustrator, no pun intended, and Photoshop. So I'll have kind of like a cool graphical video slash animation aspect of it, very uh, Casey Neistat-esque. Um, mm. I love watching that guy's stuff, um, and he's influenced me in a lot of different ways. Um, so kind of like that, but with my own take to it, for sure. Um, now, are you yeah. taking artboards in Photoshop into consideration? Uh, not for the <laughs> not for the video <laughs> side of it, but I for the video on Photoshop versus Illustrator, yes, that's mm. kind of what inspired the whole video um, from the beginning. Because I was getting ready to do something on going to college, then I said, you know what, let's do this, and I'll save the going to college for another time. Um, and actually, next week's uh, Tutvid Issues video is going to include a story about me dropping a wedding cake back when I used to do a little bit of cake decoration. Uh, but I'll save that. I'll save that story for then. It's a uh, basically the. It, it's going to be about humility, even when you think you're really good at what you do, because <laughs> that dropping the wedding cake in in some sort of way ties into that. But yeah, no. So that's been that. What's new with you? Any new technology that's fallen into your lap? Any exciting stories? Yeah, um, I'll get to that in a second. Of, of course. Photoshop CC 2015 did come out this week. We're going to get to all that good stuff towards the end of the episode, but that it's been a very exciting week. And, you know, for me having a little bit of knowledge beforehand, it's been a very crazy few weeks preparing all this stuff for the big release on, it was Tuesday night, I believe it was, or was it Monday night? I, I can't remember. It was, I think it was Monday night. One of those maybe. days. I don't know. Um, I kept hearing mixed information from my inside sources. Um, but yeah, it was crazy busy leading up to this week, and today I thought I was going to get arrested. I didn't realize that when I moved from California to Colorado, um, I didn't realize that my plates were expiring or just about to expire, so I kept telling myself, you know, I'll go to the DMV at some point, I'll get this done, whatever, whatever, whatever. Then I was out of town for business. Then finally this morning, I realized that my plates were a month overdue. So I've been driving around with an illegal car, basically. So I drove to the DMV this morning, and I'm, like, freaking out. Like, when I hand over my registration for my current car, which is now expired, I thought they were going to call the cops, but everything was okay. But, <laughs> well, because because you're Canadian, the punishment is just we, we, we dunk you in maple syrup and roll you through <laughs> Tim Hortons donuts. That's not a punishment. That's, <laughs> that's heaven for a Canadian. Um, but while I was at the DMV this morning, I used... My coin, which if you've been following me on Twitter or if you've been following me anywhere, you know I've had a lovely experience with coin and Kickstarter. So I, I saw I saw they tweeted you when you mentioned something about my coin is finally shipped. And oh, they, they did. They tweeted you and said, like, we're glad you waited. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you should be glad I waited. <laughs> yeah, so I ordered this thing. or No, sorry. I pre-ordered this thing or reserved this thing, whatever you want to call it, in November of 2013. I got it last week and it was supposed to ship in the summer of 2014. Then it was like the fall of 2014. Then it was like the summer of 2015 and it just kept being pushed back and pushed back. And the communication between the company and consumers was just disgusting. And like until it wasn't until like the summer of 2015 or several months ago that they said, Oh, by the way, we're actually going into beta and we're not actually shipping like we promised. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so I finally got this coin, and the setup process was very easy. I just swiped my card using the little dongle it comes with from my phone, and that's, I entered that's such a such a dirty word, dongle. I know. I swiped the dongle, you know, um, and it was very easy to use. 
So I loaded a bunch of coin or cards onto my coin, which is supposed to be like one coin to rule them all, mm-hmm. but in, instead it's like no coins to rule anything. But um, <laughs> so I tried it first at the DMV, which had pretty old technology, so I wasn't surprised that it didn't work. And then I tried it at oh, I tried it at Kaiser Permanente, which is our medical facility at, at the pharmacy. We're picking up our meds, my heart medication this morning. They have brand new stuff. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. Tried it at Starbucks. Didn't work. So at this point, I'm like, it's over three. I tweeted. I said, you know, my coin hasn't been working at all. They're like, oh, well, it doesn't work in all places. So I checked their website, and it basically says it works in millions of locations as as long as the merchant has X, 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 and X, which basically nobody has. If it doesn't work at Starbucks and it doesn't work at a big medical facility who has brand new POS systems, right. then I don't know what the deal is. So I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to touch this thing anymore. It was a waste of time. But that's that. Waste of time and a waste of money. Well, I think I mentioned this before. Mine was pretty much free because I unfortunately referred enough people that their referrals paid for my coin. I feel bad for referring people knowing what I do now. Well, those friendships were good while they lasted. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably Twitter followers or something like that, and they're probably unfollowed me by now. Uh, Yeah, sad, sad world. Yeah. Well, so. But one thing that is kind of cool that did come out, and it's our, actually our first story of the week, there was this new camera that was announced. It's called the DXO1. Is it that, is that DXO? Yeah, I believe it is DXO1, yes. That's stupid. They should just rename it to DX1. I like that better. Um, <laughs> I, I <it's>, can't argue. <laughs> and it's basically a 20 megapixel dongle i'm gonna i'm just gonna keep using the word dongle go for it um it's it's an accessory that clips onto your phone and it's unlike many of the other accessories for your phone that work over bluetooth or wi-fi this one actually hooks into your phone's lightning connector so it's a direct connection so you don't have that wi-fi or bluetooth lag that you get i mean right now i am using um, I just got that LX100 yes, a few weeks ago that I've been, we've been talking about. Panasonic yep. 4K capable. And actually, if you check my YouTube videos, the video the video at the front and the back, the intro and outro, are all shot on that 4K camera. Beautiful footage. Microphone sucks, but beautiful footage. Mm-hmm. I had to dub over. Does it have um, a quick side note? Does it have a, a like a mic input port where you could go and get like a Rode shotgun not. mic? Uh, it gotcha. does not. It does not. So, so just... what I've had to do, I had to take my Bluebird that I'm using right now and kind of hook it up with the arm right in front of my of the camera when I'm filming, mm-hmm. uh, record the audio track separately, and then lay it on top, which works really well. Right. But anyways, that's besides the point. So that camera has an app that I can install on my iPhone, but it's connected over Wi-Fi, so the, it, there's a lot of lag. But the nice thing about this DX01 is that it's directly connected, so you're not getting that lag. So it's a 20 megapixel, 20.2 megapixel, wow, 20.2 megapixel, one-inch sensor camera that hooks onto your iPhone that's supposed to be giving you DSLR-quality images. And the images that I have seen that have come from this camera are actually quite decent. Um, you know, they're definitely better than the ones that you get in on the iPhone, especially mm-hmm. in low-light situations. And there's a lot of manual control. There is actually a touchscreen on the back of the device. It's a very small camera, so there's not much you can touch, but you can swipe between different modes on the back. And the shutter's on top. It's a fixed lens of about 
32 millimeter wide focal length. It does open up all the way to f1.8 and all the way down to f11. So if you want to get really narrow depth of field or you want to capture a lot of the scene, make it nice and sharp, you know, all the way up to F11. Mm. And the shutter can stay open for up to 15 seconds. But what's crazy is that the ISO on this tiny little camera goes all the way from 100 up to 51,200. Now, I haven't seen any photos at 51,200. I can't imagine there's great noise. But one thing that apparently this camera does they call it super raw i've never heard of such a is that, is that like just, ultra hd but in still non 4k format it's probably some gimmicky marketing thing but what it says it does is it takes four consecutive raw images and it stacks them on top of each other to try to filter out sensor noise so if you are shooting up to fifty-one thousand two hundred, it may reduce the noise a little bit but i have to imagine that it, it would probably still be very noisy, yeah, I don't, especially on a camera that small. Yeah, I don't care how super raw your super raw is at 51,200. <laughs> you're not getting anywhere close to a clean image. No, even on the Sony a7S that I've used, which has amazing mm -hmm. noise control. Some of the best. At 51, yeah, at 51,200, I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of noise that even Lightroom can't deal with. Yeah. But, you know... Also, it shoots 1080p at 30 frames per second, 720 at 120 frames per second, which I think the iPhone does natively without one of these little dongles. Um, but the downside, so that's all good. That all sounds great, and it's a very small form factor, so it's something you can throw into your pocket and all that stuff. But it's $599, so it's a little bit up there for this tiny little thing that plugs into your iPhone, which, you know, by the next iPhone, the iPhone 6S, whatever it might be, we might see major advancements in the camera, and at that price, honestly, I would rather buy one of those tiny little Canon point-and-shoot cameras and just carry that around with Yeah, me. I mean, this looks like... You remember those old, was it like Sony had sort of like the handheld, it was like the flip cam, but like it almost yeah, was like Yeah, that a, was a big rave. Right, like point. a gun yeah. hand, that's what it looks like, but it like plugs right into just the back of your camera, the lens comes out of it, and you would hold your camera just like you would hold, you know, a normal point and shoot camera, except the lens is right there plugged into the bottom of... Uh, your phone. It looks pretty cool. I mean, yeah, for 600 bucks, I don't think I would do it. A one-inch 20.2 megapixel sensor is pretty big, yes, um, but give me a real camera. I mean, for real, this yeah. I don't I don't see this really going anywhere. Um, but yeah, especially not kinda, for 599. Yeah. If it was like 199 or 299, I would totally pick one up just to try. Yeah, it. and it's but 599. I mean, that's a bit. Yeah, rich. and it's so small you can you can keep it on you. Especially like a, a woman could just like throw it in her purse, give it some kind of half decent case they can get it in and out of quickly. Something you could throw in your purse, you know, if you've got kids or you're going to the zoo or anything like that, and it's a tiny little add-on to give you a pretty half decent camera uh, that you can use so moving on from that speaking of 20.2 in uh, 20.2 megapixel one inch sensors canon has introduced the canon g3x which they are calling a premium compact camera and it also has uh -huh. a 20.2 megapixel one inch cmos sensor uh canon saying well first of all it, it's it's in addition to the g7x line of cameras i guess really the gx line of cameras the g7x i don't know how you get from g7x to the g3x um but that's where we are the g7x canon's been very quite they've been making very questionable decisions lately yeah, so who knows yeah, a lot of and actually well yeah i just had a, a guy who a photographer that i follow on facebook just got rid of his canon gear went over to the sony stuff that we had talked about last week um and gave some suggestions on lenses and things i know we had talked about that um but we won't get into that here um but anyway um 
So it looks like the G3X is an addition to this GX line of cameras, of which the G7X is probably the most famous slash popular of them right now. Uh, in fact, I'm not aware of any others. I haven't really looked into what other cameras there are in the GX line. Uh, the G7X is a beautiful camera, though. It's like 550 600 bucks. Great vlogging camera. Maybe one of the best on the market if you're not concerned about 4K. So the G3X <laughs> is said to offer a DSLR-like experience. It doesn't have interchangeable lenses. It's got a huge uh, zoom. It's something like 70 to 600 millimeter or something. It's a crazy... Uh, it, yeah, it something up, insane yeah, like that. It, I saw that they were focusing. There was One of the articles said it's like a small compact camera that focuses on the zoom or something. Yeah, I mean, it's like a 25 times optical, not digital, optical zoom that mm -hmm. it ends up equating to. Uh, it's got a large sensor and Canon also calls it the most rugged of the G series yet, uh, which uh, seems due to additional rubber weather sealing that they have as well as improved camera body construction. Uh, the camera's coming out soon. Like I said, it has a, a manufacturer-suggested retail price of about $1,000. Um, mm. So just to read off some of the specs before we get into this, 1-inch 20.2-megapixel uh, CMOS sensor, f2.8 to 5.6 lens. That means when zoomed all the way out, you're shooting at f2.8. When you zoom all the way in, you're going to be shooting at f5.6. And then varying zooms along the way, you're at different um, apertures. Now... Because this isn't a true DSLR sensor and DSLR lens, typically compact cameras, when you see like a, a an f2 lens, it's really about a third of what it would be if you had it plugged into a DSLR. So this lens is actually like an f7.5, f7.5, or f7.6 to like an f15 uh, lens. If you think about it in terms of a full frame, full fledged, you know, your Canon 6D, a Canon 5D, a Nikon D3 or D4, excuse me. Uh, any of those full-frame DSLRs. Uh, ISO range of ISO 125 up to 12,800. And I know you might think, oh, the DX01 had 51,200. Um, when you're talking about ISO, it's not really the number you climb to, but show me how clean the image is um, when you have high ISO. 12,800 ISO is it can do a lot to brighten up a scene. I mean, you can shoot a candlelit room at, you know, 180th of a second relatively easily at 12,800 ISO. 31-point uh, autofocus system, built-in 5-axis image stabilization, a 3.2-inch multi-angle LCD screen, which also can flip completely up. So if you're holding the camera vlogging style out away from your body and pointing it back at you, you can look up and see the screen and see yourself. That's really cool. It's an LCD screen. I kind of wish it was an LED screen, but Canada doesn't seem to be doing that. Uh, Built-in pop-up flash, which looks flimsier than flimsy. Um, and I've heard a lot of bad things about these pop-up flashes on these, you know, prosumer, compact, you know, consumer cameras in general. They're just very easy to break off. Uh, can shoot in RAW, which is really cool. And I saw Canon um, had linked a few, or not linked a few, but Canon had put out a couple videos shot with this uh, G3X and included some stills. The dynamic range looks really good in this camera. It does look mm -hmm. really good. Uh, it shoots full 1080p HD video at 24, 30, or 60 frames per second. It has the ability to record externally via the HDMI port on the camera. I'm assuming that means it can record to something like an Atomos video recorder, which allows you to go beyond the 29 point whatever, you know, 29 minute 25 second recording limit on a lot of the cameras um so that's really neat to see built-in microphone plug and headphone jack and of course built-in wi-fi with nfc uh which is always i mean that's kind of going to become a standard thing it looks like in pretty much all new cameras coming out so 
on the downside, there's no 4K video. Like you're selling this this consumer prosumer camera. Sony, ju we just talked about uh, the R100 Mark IV or whatever they're calling it, which is kicking butt spec-wise. Has 4K video, shoots at ridiculous, what is it, 960 frames per second or something. Uh, granted, it's like 720p, but, you know, it scales back very gracefully. Um, and there's also like the Panasonic FZ1, FZ1000, or you've got the Panasonic LX100 um, that all shoot 4K. They're, you know, you're talking about a thousand bucks you could spend on this Canon versus a thousand bucks or less than a thousand bucks in the case of these cameras. That you could spend and get 4K, and before I let you jump in on the 4K side of things, because that's the future, that's where everything's headed. I mean, YouTube just released the 8K video player, and you're you're, you're releasing a new camera that doesn't even shoot in 4K, doesn't even shoot in half the resolution of what YouTube just did. And, and granted, 8K is not going to be here for another year or two or three or who knows how many years, um, but uh, you you know it's coming. I mean, Apple's put out the 5K iMac. 4K is here. 4K has arrived. More and more people are getting 4K monitors. HDMI is prolific. Uh, these huge graphic cards are becoming more and more popular. Everyone's getting them. You need to be able to shoot 4K if you're serious about targeting a forward-looking technological market that, oh, by the way, is going to come back and buy your products later on down the road because you're a cutting-edge technological company. You know, your name's Canon, not Kodak. Look forward. <laughs> Stop living three, five years ago before, because before you know it, you're going to be 20 years behind. You know what I mean? So, but before before yeah, I, you jump in, real quick, also yep. in the con side of things, there's no electronic viewfinder. Which a camera like this, you've got to have some kind of viewfinder. I don't want to have to rely on the screen on the back of the camera. Now, Canon says, okay, well, you can buy an electronic viewfinder. You can slide it into the hot shoe on the camera. Well, here's the problem with that. Uh, if you're using this camera to vlog or as a grab, you know, take with you kind of camera you're going to throw in your bag, the electronic viewfinder that you attach to the hot shoe is this big, I mean, it's not huge, but it's a big appendage sticking off the top of the camera. That coming in and out of your pocket and out of your bag, you're going to break it. You're going to break it off. Whereas if it's a viewfinder built in, I mean, I've got right here on my desk, Howard, I'll show you if I can, well, I can't, the stupid thing's caught on the edge of my desk. Hang on. Right. Hold on. At least we're not recording live, but I'll still leave this in there to, to show. <laughs> this is amusing. To show the good people what's going on. Yeah, here we go. There here we go. go. You can see with, I'm just grabbing the Fuji, uh, Fujifilm X100T that I have sitting on my desk. Boom. I've got my rangefinder built right in, right? And that's an optical and electronic viewfinder that I have. So having something like that is, I mean, for for a for somebody who's interested in pure photography, you want some kind of viewfinder. It's so much easier to use. Does yeah, that even the LX100 that I have here has an electronic viewfinder? Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I'm assuming with especially with that camera, it's probably electronic, not optical as well. Um, yeah. So to not have both of those things. That kind of hurts. I mean, like I said, the dynamic range looks crazy good um, for the video and the photos, and the photo quality looks pretty good as well. Now, they had, at least the video I saw, the weather was really great. They had amazing light. They had great locations and, and optimum circumstances, granted, but the photo is still the photo at the end of the day and looked pretty good. And, and just a quick side note, Adobe uploaded all the videos to YouTube at 720p, which was another, like, how, you know, I'm not even second-guessing at this point. I'm It's not... Uh, what were you thinking, Canon? It's why weren't you thinking, Canon? How do you upload a promotional video at 720p? You mean Canon, not Adobe, right? Yes. Did I, did okay, I, you said Adobe. Oh, I'm sorry, Canon, <laughs> Canon, Canon. No. 
You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of frustrating. I love Canon. I've used them for so long. But to see them do this um, and they're getting panned left and right, even with the, like the 5DS and the 5DSR, you've got this 50 megapixel camera you're pushing and you're pretending like nothing else is out there when we just had the Sony a7 II come out, which from a spec standpoint, I mean, get in the, bu get in the bus because Sony's driving you to school. You know, uh, it's ridiculous. It's, it's not even comparable. And Canon's just kind of flaunting it like this is the new face of photography, blah, 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 blah. And I don't see where the marketing value is. Even if it is a better, pure camera, uh, you're doing an awful job marketing it and you're doing an awful job. Like, you better get these cameras out into people's hands and show the world what they're capable of and why the Sonys can't hold up. Because that's the one thing that could keep me from jumping over to Sony is if I see a, like a side-by-side -side Sony a7 II versus like Canon 5DSR and the image quality of the 5DS or 5DSR is so far superior at like 100% crop under the same lighting conditions, then I'm going to have a harder time jumping ship. Anything short of that, I mean, Sony's sitting there waiting saying, hey, look, I've got almost the same number of megapixels and I've got 4K and Canon seems to be just not interested in 4K. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. I don't know why. I don't get it either. And like I completely agree that 4K is here. It's not going anywhere. It's not one of these fads that's kind of going to be here for a little bit and people are going to get bored of it and somehow go back to 1080p. That's just not going to happen. And the, the at at we're, you know we're advancing so quickly that we were just at HD and now we're very quickly coming up to 4K and we're even talking about 8K now. And you know even if Canon, you know, I'm sure they're sitting in a room somewhere and a bunch of people at Canon are thinking, you know, or saying out loud, you know, 4K is coming, we understand that, but it's not here yet, so we don't have to worry about it. But when you're looking at your competitors, like Sony and Panasonic and Nikon, all coming out with 4K stuff, you have to do it. Whether you agree with it or not, you have to embrace it because that's what's going to sell cameras. I bought this Panasonic Lumix One LX100 specifically because it has 4K video. Otherwise, I would have bought a Canon. Um, I'm considering buying the a7 II or a7 or whatever it's called um, specifically because it has 4K video. Mm. Even if the 5DS has a little bit better image quality, I'm gonna choose the Sony because of that 4K video because I do a lot of video work and even though the majority of people who watch my videos do not have 4K monitors, I know that in a year from now or two years from now, those monitors will be vastly available to a lot of people and they will go back and watch my content because it is 4K and my content's like that ever, evergreen content where it's always going to be relevant. So people will always be searching for that stuff and I wanna start now preparing for that moment when everybody has 4K cameras. And to see that Canon is not even trying I mean, maybe they'll have 4K in one of their super high-end cameras. Well, they do. I mean, the now. C300 has 4K capability, but it's also yeah, $16,000, no right? I mean, yeah, you can't... Yeah, people like me who produce YouTube videos who is trying 
to create the best quality content possible can't afford a $16,000 camera right. for YouTube videos. I want a little, I mean, this camera here, the $700 Lumix LX100 that I'm using for my videos, go to youtube.com slash studios. Look at my new Photoshop CC 2015 videos. The quality of that video is incredible. And it was out of a $700 point and shoot camera. Yeah, look at the creepy so ring no light eyes too. Oh, well, ignore that. But um, but there's there's absolutely no reason in my mind or my eyes that Canon cannot come out with 4K video capabilities in their lower-end cameras. Right. I mean, and, and we're not even talking about like $400 cameras. Mm-hmm. This is a $1,000 camera, right. and they still don't have yeah, it. Yeah, and, and you know, like you said about the people sitting back in one of these research and development rooms, you should never be concerned with, oh, that's not here yet. I mean, maybe with like ridiculously abstract way out there concepts, but when you're five years away from a technology, you better be prepared for that t- technology to drop. I mean, what this is so it, either it's just a very bad everything has played out really badly for Canon because everyone else has announced their 4K cameras first. I don't know, um, but Canon seems to keep pushing cameras to the market without offering uh, some kind of real 4K solution to people who are photographers and 4K video. People are interested in 4K video as well. I mean, not only are there all these vloggers, I mean, there's that XC10, I think is what it's called, which is just a 4K recording camera for 2500 bucks, um, And then the C300 Mark II, which we had talked about, which is $16,000. Um, they still don't have a DSLR that's shooting 4K. Um, they just released the couple new DSLRs, which don't have any video capability. Fine. I'll be interested to see what the 5D Mark IV is. But at that point, I mean, how many people are you going to have that have jumped ship and gotten super excited over the Sony? Because Sony's come out and said, look, here it is. We've got the full package. Boom. Come and take it. And oh, by the way, it's $400 cheaper, $600 cheaper than that 5D SR as well. So, yeah, and that's that's Sony, like I've mentioned before, it is definitely on my radar and I don't see anything about that Sony that would say, "Yeah, you know what? Maybe it's not the best choice." It's to me, it has everything that I need. I'm not a super crazy photographer. I don't need a crazy amount of megapixels, but it does have a crazy amount of megapixels, right? Yes, like 40 40 point, I think it's 42 megapixels or something. Yeah, that's more than I'll ever need right. ever. Um, and it has 4K video, and I've used the Sony mirrorless cameras previously, and they are fantastic. So, I mean, at this point, and, and if I really needed to, I can use my Canon lenses on the Sony cameras. I probably won't. I'll probably get new lenses. Mm-hmm. But if I had to, if I was really straight for cash, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's it, it's it's interesting. And beside all, and just one final point, I know we spent a lot of time talking about this bemoaning the lack of 4k in canon and i mean the same could be said for nikon as well um it's just canon affects you and i a little bit more directly because we're canon users um but beside video bloggers and people that like you know literally want to keep a camera on their hip or in their pocket one of these smaller point and shoots that could have the ability to shoot 4k because they want to start delivering 4k content to the people watching their videos on youtube beside that market i understand that's a pretty small market but what about the semi-tech savvy dad or mom who wants that camera and knows they're going to shoot short video clips to their kids and they want something that's this ultra hd the next big thing for five six hundred dollars that they're going to pick up who feels that? It's it's yeah, I, I completely agree. And you know, part of me kind of wonders if the marketing team or whoever is the research and development team at Canon is basically saying, you know, unless you're a professional videographer, you don't need 4K. So why are we going to waste our resources to produce 4K 
stuff in these little tiny cameras if no one's going to use them. I think I really think they might think that. Right. And, that and, and if they you know, are people like me and people like you don't need it. And if they are, that is just a really bad misunderstanding of the their customer yeah. um, on their part. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. on to the next thing. Let's talk about this uh, Petapixel. They posted this pretty awesome photo retouch. They did. This was pretty cool. I saw this, and it was kind of like one of those photo retouches. You look twice. You have to look a little bit because the things are kind of warped and backwards and twisted, right. and it is kind of weird. But this photographer, his name is Anti Carpenian. 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 I don't know. Something like that. Um, he created this stunning portrait of this musician sitting on a ledge. I believe it was a contract piece for a, a band in somewhere and it's this musician sitting on a ledge on a wall so it's i mean you have to see this photo so go to mm. nathaniel's post tutfit.com slash something or other um what, what is the post tutfit.com slash we geek slash episode 19 <laughs> that's the one go there you'll be able to see this photo retouch it's actually kind of cool so it's this musician sitting on a ledge against a wall over what looks like rushing water like a lake or an ocean or something mm. like that and you kind of wonder how this something something like this was done and then you scroll down a little bit and you start to see the thought process and the few images that took place before and you can see the initial sketch he kind of brainstorms a few things but what's really cool is that ledge that was sitting on a wall which is basically vertical was actually done using a horizontal stack of stones or like a row or ramp of stones that was just sitting in front of a building or a school or whatever it might be. And it's kind of cool thinking, you know, this guy looked at this and he imagined flipping it, putting it against a wall and putting a musician on that ledge. It's interesting how you, how people can think outside. I would have never thought of to do something like that. And he goes on to show the the retouching and the musician actually sitting on the floor with his legs over this ramp of stones, which he ultimately flipped and put against a wall. And then he did a bunch of color correcting and eventually got to the final process pro product final image. Um, and it looks beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I have to say I, I saw this. Um, I wasn't all that impressed with the final image. However, from a conceptual standpoint, yes, to be able to say like, hey, we're going to take this photo of you. You're going to be laying down on your back with your legs up on this ledge as if you were actually sitting on the ledge and gravity was pushing you down and then to flip it and add all the other elements he added. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I kind of thought it was a little lacking on the execute, well, not really the execution, but like on the the technical expertise, maybe I should say. Uh, it wasn't as polished as I wanted, and certainly for something that was going to get published on a blog like Petapixel, I would have thought there'd be a little bit more. Um, but still, I mean, you know, I don't know how long the guy's been doing this. Um, so, I mean, considering what he did and, you know, documenting it all, it's definitely pretty cool and, and really kind of neat to see it all. Yeah, and they're actually at the end of the Petapixel article, they did link to another image that he did of two patrons sitting at a bar which is a very similar image kind of like that flipped look he's they're sitting on a bar that looks like it's on a wall right. i think that one was done a lot better the final result looks a lot better than this one but it's the same kind of process that he took which is really interesting to me yeah so yeah no definitely cool something worth checking out um on to the next story sprint uh has stopped throttling people's data and if you don't know what data throttling is, <laughs> data throttling is basically like when you 
exceed the amount of data that your mobile carrier wants you to use or is allotting for you to use every month. They slow your network down. Some networks are infamous for doing this. Um, in fact, AT&T, who I am with, uh, was just mm, fined, too. I believe it was Wednesday. It was either they were fined on Wednesday or the ruling from the FCC. They changed this rule, the FCC did. Uh, and AT&T is being fined $100 million. Uh, part of me always looks at this kind of thing with like a little bit of skeptic, like a little bit of a skeptical eye because I know AT&T is making billions and billions of dollars. They spend like $60 billion a year just on upkeep of their mobile network. Um, so the government's finding them a hundred million. It just feels like a big cash grab. Um, but whatever. Uh, well, not whatever. Kind of screwy. But so they're they're finding them a hundred million dollars for flop for throttling quote unquote unlimited data plans. Um, and Sprint all of a sudden uh, here we are recording on Thursday has decided to stop throttling data as well. Um, they say in the wake of some new net, net neutrality rules, according to CNET, uh, Sprint had told the Wall Street Journal it believes its policy, uh, quote, would have been allowed under the new rules, but it said it dropped the policy, you know, just in case. Um, Sprint also said that it retained the right to prioritize traffic based on a customer's cell phone plan, though it had never done so and had decided that such a policy is no longer necessary, unquote. Um you know, this idea of unlimited data, I know they're selling it as unlimited, so I can't blame people who get mad at them for not giving them true unlimited data. But you know, like in the web world, unlimited bandwidth, there's no such thing as unlimited bandwidth. You can't build a pipe big enough to hold unlimited anything. We just can't do it. It's physically impossible. It's physically impossible to have a data network that can carry truly unlimited data. There's always a limit and, and every company can self-impose limits as well. So that's that kind of looks like what it happened. I, I read somewhere that it was like the top 5%, like the, the top 5% of all data users were really the ones being throttled. Um, and then other people were just being throttled kind of in non-peak hours. So if you're on your phone at 2.30 a.m. or something, you're going to notice your data slowing down. Um, you know, I... Yeah, I mean, they shouldn't be doing it, plain and simple. If, if you're offering an unlimited uh, data plan, which I don't think AT&T even offers anymore. It looks like this FCC thing had no. to do with data plans back in like 2010. Um, so, you know, Sprint, though, I think does still have a quote-unquote unlimited data plan or T-Mobile or one of those uh, one of those networks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I really, people need to be educated. There's really no such thing as an unlimited data plan. If a network is selling you an unlimited data plan, it's not actually unlimited. There's going to be some stipulation. You get At the end of the day, you get what you pay for. And if it's too good to be true, uh, it's probably not true. Yeah, I can't probably say too much in regards to AT&T because the company I work for is partially owned by AT&T, so I have to be very careful. But in general, I do agree that you know, a lot of companies just they throw out these marketing terms and they make you think you're getting one thing, but in reality, if you really read the fine print, or sometimes they don't even include it in the fine print, they kind of switch gears and you know it seems like unlimited, but at the end of the day, it might be unlimited, but at the same time, you're getting much slower internet speeds at certain times a day, or once you pass a certain threshold, or something like that. I mean, I have Comcast internet, and it seems like every night around 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, our speed just kind of drops. We have the 100 megabit plan or something like that. And then 10 o'clock hits, we're at down to like 40 or 30 yeah. megabits. Mm -hmm. And they can never give me an explanation. They tell me 
It's because people in our area are all of a sudden online at that time, which is complete BS because all the people in our area are, we live in a very quiet neighborhood and the majority of people are over the age of 70. They're all, they're all asleep at seven o'clock. They watch mm. the prices, right? They go to sleep. Yep. Nobody is on the internet right now. So to tell me that, you know, my speeds just kind of randomly go down because that many people are online, I don't buy it for one right. second. I just wish more companies were honest about their practices so that we as consumers know exactly what we're getting. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I definitely agree. Um, so kind of bouncing off of that, we're going to we'll get to the iPad thing in just a second. Um, the, the CNET also had a story about your smartphone having serious security flaws. And I'd seen an article about this on a different website a little bit earlier in the week, actually. Um, basically, these apps that are, have gotten approved by the App Store and may, and I guess even the Google, was Google Play Store, um, mm -hmm. that people are downloading into their phones um, that will leave your phone vulnerable to basically, I guess, opening up like a gateway connection to whoever wants to get in and take whatever information they want, whatever, whatever information you have there. Um, so yeah, and the researchers have found that the malware can get potentially get through Apple's App Store gatekeepers. So all the people that are supposed to keep all that information and technology safe, make sure people aren't submitting apps to the store that are going to compromise everything about you. And just think when you start having the smart home technology, somebody could break in and disrupt every aspect of your life. I mean, just wait for like the tech savvy crime shows on TV where people are hacking into iPhone apps and, you know, breaking into the criminal's mansion through his, you know, iPhone, <laughs> you know, baking him out, you know, iPhone connected to like the Nest thermostat and you're shutting all of his lights off. And That's like some Ocean's <laughs> 11 or Ocean's 12 stuff right yeah, there. I don't, I don't know what it is. However many oceans it is, it's not enough oceans for me to want to experience it. Um, but yeah, so it's just kind of, I mean, I don't really know a huge amount about it. Um, but security flaws are never cool, and whenever they pertain to some kind of technology that you probably have, uh, something to at least be wary of. Did you see anything pointing to specific apps? Because, I mean, there was stuff like millions of phones potentially are left, you know, open to attack after this. So it can't just be like, you know, Jack and Sean's Bakery had an app that was, you know, this malicious thing that three people downloaded. Right. I, the one that I did see that's going around like wildfire right now is on Android. This Swift keyboard, which comes installed on Android by default, apparently has a loophole on as part of the keyboard somehow that allows, basically, it opens up to 600 million phones to be vulnerable to some sort of hacking or some the sort Russians, of phishing or probably something. Probably the Russians. It's got to be. Um, I did see something somewhere in one of the articles that said it's in very rare like it's a very specific situation you have to be in order to be vulnerable mm -hmm. but that is you know it does open up to 600 million people um you have to be apparently on a certain wi-fi network and you have to be doing a certain thing with the keyboard and only at that point is your phone vulnerable so of course these news articles are probably making it seem like a much bigger deal mm -hmm. and in terms of ios the one article that I did see, or I think maybe two of them, said that iOS does have the possibility right. of having malware installed in some of the apps, but it hasn't detected it yet. So it hasn't gotten past Apple's gatekeepers, but that possibility is right, there. Yeah. But I mean, that's kind of like saying there's a possibility someone can break into Fort Knox, but no one has done it yet. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's it's more of there's uh, there they have found these openings or potentially security could be breached 
uh, on, right. on these phones. But yeah. All right. So about. I mean, this is this is shortly after the whole entire U.S. government got hacked. So right. You know, nothing is really safe right. these yeah, days. Yeah, I agree. So tell me about this new iPad that we we had talked about briefly, and we've actually mentioned a couple times in the podcast uh, that I think yeah, I think we're we both been, kind of excited about it, right? We are. We've been discussing this iPad or the possibility of an iPad Pro for the last few months, even before we even started this podcast up again. And it's something that both you and I, as professionals in the industry, are really looking forward to because I've played around with the Microsoft Surface. I think it's a in very interesting device having an actual operating system on basically a tablet, which Apple does not have. I definitely would not call iOS on a tablet an actual operating system because unless I can run Photoshop or Illustrator directly on an iPad, it's not for me. Yeah. So there's been rumors for the last, well, really there's been rumors for the last year or two, but recently it's been really ramping up. Actually, in the latest iOS developer beta, the iOS 9 developer beta, people have been finding hints about an upcoming iPad Pro. And they're saying it's a 12.9 inch display at 2732 by 2040. Uh, that's the resolution. Right. And it's like 240 pixels per inch or something like that. Mm -hmm. And apparently it's gonna be big enough to squeeze almost two full-sized iPad apps side by side. And they found a bunch of other hints, including a larger uh, keyboard that adjusts itself for larger resolution. Dedicated caps so lock button. I saw cap. That's huge. Yeah, caps revolutionary. Lock, caps lock. Yeah. I always call it caps so, locks. Caps lock. <laughs> so it does seem that Apple is starting to throw in little bits and pieces. Not probably not as hints, but they're probably just planning iOS nine to support some sort of an iPad Pro. Um, now the big question is if. See, this kind of throws me off and this kind of bothers me a little bit. If everyone is finding these little bits and pieces of an iPad Pro in the developer beta of iOS 9, that doesn't mean that the iPad Pro is going to run OS 10, which means Photoshop will not be runnable on this iPad Pro, which will bother me mm. immensely. Yeah, I mean, I want... <sighs> it. I almost want like a flat iPad or a flat MacBook Air. That's sort of what I want in this. Yeah. I want it to run Mac OS X El Capitan. I want what a stupid. I name. want the Touch Force, you know, uh, screen display, whatever you're going to call it at that point, with a stylus that I'm either going to get from Apple or from Wacom. I don't care. It might actually be a tool that I could see using i mean i've mentioned before on the podcast i've i've played around with one of the surface pro threes uh and they're really really cool they're really powerful they're really fast they're really lightweight i can see using one uh is it just the natural evolution of the laptop i don't know i'm still pretty skeptical about the whole idea of mobile design in general when it comes to designing on the go i should say you know can i sit there on the train and design a logo well i guess i probably could but not really as well. I mean, I can't do fine anything if I'm in a in an uncontrolled environment, I guess I should say. Um, but it, I don't know. I guess I would like to see what the price would cost. You know, if it's if it's eighteen hundred dollars, I'm out. I've I have no interest in it. Eighteen hundred dollars. Um, I don't know what's like the most expensive iPad now. It's still less than a thousand dollars, right? If you get the biggest, baddest iPad you can get. Uh, I think it's like eight ninety nine or something like right. that. Right. So if it was something that was like a thousand dollars, eleven $1 hundred dollars, 
then I might, you know, it might be something where I could consider this being something that's feasible, something I could get into a little bit less than like a, a high-end MacBook Air. But you can get a MacBook Air for about a thousand bucks, right? Like nine ninety-nine. I think you can get. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, if it's if it's right around that price point, I feel like that would be the sweet spot for the price. And this, uh, depending on the feature set, is going to be very. Uh, I, I'm really going to be focused on the price. Uh, that's going to be something that I'm really gonna, really gonna be be interested in, and I, I guess I would also be interested to see how it works with the the suite of Mac products in general, how it's gonna integrate with the iPhone or uh, you know a, a Mac laptop or desktop or iMac whatever. Uh, it would just be interesting to see how the whole thing works, but uh, could definitely be a really cool, really interesting piece of technology uh, for design people and just kind of everybody just to have a, a legitimate tablet computer from apple that's like a real computer in a tablet yeah and and you know, to an extent them not doing this if they do release an ipad pro and it runs ios it almost reminds me of canon not releasing anything with 4k yeah. video capabilities i agree i mean it's just it's the way we're going everything's getting smaller well i guess thinner More everything's portable. kind of Everything is portable. 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 Yeah. That's 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 a good point. Um, and it's just something that people have shown interest in. I mean, Microsoft sponsored Adobe Max, and people are going crazy over the Surface Pro three because it does exactly what people want a, a mobile laptop to do, or tablet, or whatever you call it. Now, in terms of price, it's going to be really interesting to see what Apple prices the thing at, assuming that it is a tablet that runs OS 10 and you can run full Photoshop and stuff like that. Obviously the specs would have to be a little bit greater than an iPad would right now. Now I'm looking at the Surface Pro 3 on um, on my computer right now. The yep. base Surface Pro 3 starts at $800 mm -hmm. and it goes all the way up to $1,800. Right. And that's a 512 gigabyte Intel Core i7, blah, 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 blah. Um, knowing Apple, that same $1,800 Surface Pro 3 would probably be $2,000 because they'd market it as a retina display and this revolutionary durka, durka, durka. Uh, and, 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 and to interrupt you for a second, I, yep. I don't have a problem with that. I want an entry-level model that that I'm not, you know, uh, selling the farm to get, so to speak. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm not willing to lay out $2,000 for something that's totally new to the marketplace, and I don't think most other consumers would be willing to do that. If you work at a very high-end design studio where this is what they want to do, and they're willing to go all in, maybe. But I don't even necessarily really see that. Yeah, I don't, I but don't know. I mean... Just a quick, quick, uh, quick step back. Speaking of Adobe Max... Is it true that uh, you may be speaking at Adobe Max? Or is this something I'm supposed to talk about? I cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> um, I keep... was contacted by somebody at some company that uh, they want me to present at something at some point in the future. Potentially. Um, Maybe. Eventually. They did <laughs> give me various options of things I could possibly present. And they're very interested. And I'm waiting to... Talk details. So well, when I do have details on this unnamed presentation at some unnamed event, which may or may not be Adobe Max, I will certainly make an announcement. Well, congratulations <laughs> for getting an email, I guess, then. It's super, super cool stuff. Uh, but anyway, we'll move on from that uh, because you might get in trouble with lawyers. Uh, I may, and or speaking you, you of may, lawyers... You, you may be falsely sued. <laughs> I may, and this is this is an interesting story, and it makes it more interesting that the guy's name is Richard, because mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me of Richard 
uh, Price, who we spoke Prince. about several weeks back. Prince. I keep mm. saying Price because it's money. Right. Um, well. Prince. Richard Close Prince. Enough. So this guy, this weirdo, or I don't know, I want to call him other names, but I'm not going to. Um, his name is Richard Bell. He's a photographer who also happens to be a lawyer, and he does a lot of photography, and he apparently has this indie skyline photo that he licensed and it's going around like wildfire and he's been suing people like crazy he has sued several hundred people who are using this photo without license but what makes this kind of annoying is that he is suing people who aren't even using his photo or aren't even using the photo in a negative fashion or or in a way that requires a license. So he's been basically what he's, he has a history of filing lawsuits and very quickly, instead of big, before it goes to court, he very quickly offers these people settlements to avoid going to court. So he kind of uses his law background to his advantage. If he goes to someone like me and says, you know, you posted my photo on Google plus it's completely illegal for you to do that. I'm taking you to court, but you know, if you pay me, $500, we can kind of avoid this. Me not knowing the law and not having any lawyers at my disposal will probably be like, crap, I did something wrong, according to this guy who's a lawyer, apparently. Here's $500, leave me alone, let's stay out of court. So, but he kind of ran into some issues lately. So he sued this guy named Charles Lance, who, and Richard claims that he was using his photo without permission, but later he found out that that wasn't with merit. So, this Charles Lance guy wasn't even using this photo or certainly wasn't using it that requires a license. So this Charles guy actually fought back and he's countersuing Richard Bell for $33,974.65. But reports have it that he's willing to settle for just $33,974. <laughs> so we'll knock 64 would, cents off. <laughs> that would be great. No, um, you know what? You know, yeah. just... You know what I hate about stuff like this? You can file a lawsuit and level claims against people in this country and have virtually no accountability on your end. You, if you're going to accuse somebody of something, I feel like if that person is found innocent, no matter what it was, you are then liable to the punishment for the thing you falsely accused that person of. If oh, you I accuse somebody of murder and you, you are ready to send them to jail for 50 years, you better be so sure that that person committed murder because if they get found not guilty, you're going to the slammer for 50 years. So if this guy, Richard Bell, wants to sue you for 25 grand for using an image, if he's wrong, it should be an automatic countersuit where you get $25,000 because of the, the, I mean, you want to talk about psychological distress, distraction from business, lost business, whatever you want to call it, and just general annoyance and, and potential destruction of reputation. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. So I'm glad this person's countersuing. You know, if somebody were to do something like this to me, you know, it would... Uh, I absolutely would be looking at something like this. It's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that you can do this and there's absolutely no fault. It allows people like him to go around, you know, these little, you know, uh, pseudo lawyers, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, I've got a law degree at my disposal, so I'm going to coerce you into giving me money. I, I mean, that it's it, it's totally unethical. You know, you're a you're a solo free agent mobster essentially at that point. You know, you break out the front windows and leave a business card of a guy who does glass work. You know, you can't do that. That's not how. That's not how free market works. That's not how an honest person with integrity uh, works. So stop. You know, and and I, I hope this guy Lance uh, Charles Lance kicks his butt in court. Honestly, thirty three grand, thirty four grand basically seems like it's way less uh, than he should be charging. I don't really care what the letter of the law is. Um, 
you know, if, if you're going to come after somebody with, with an accusation, it, it it's better to be such a serious ramification if you're wrong that you're not going to go around willy-nilly, you know, saying, oh, you're guilty of this, you're guilty of that, you're guilty of this. You know, the fact that we can you know, get people in trouble on one person's, you know, accusation, have them hauled off to court for who knows what, that's ridiculous enough. Uh, but I think a lot of this would be settled if you just say, look, you can accuse anybody of anything, but if the court finds them not guilty, you're then on the hook for their punishment. Yeah, and there are laws similar to that. I know when I'm filing my um, my copyright claims on YouTube, when people up, re-upload my videos without permission, it yep. does state something something similar to that where if I'm filing or knowingly filing a false claim, they can actually counter sue me in some sort of degree. I don't know. There are sort of laws like that, but obviously someone like Richard Bell, who is a lawyer, he knows that that that's available. So he's kind of like twisting his way around it. He's trying not to get to court with these people, he's a which bully. is why he's offering. Yeah, of course, he's definitely a bully. Yeah, and uh, you know, so you know, this guy finally standing up and saying, "You know what, you schmuck, I'm going to take you to court and let's see how you handle it when you're under the gun." Um, yeah. You know, and I, so. I hope Charles Lance goes as far as he can possibly go, um, and looks like finally Richard messed with the wrong guy. Yeah, so it better be thirty three nine plus court fees because you know yeah. you can't be can't be on the hook for them either. Yeah. Uh, but so, anyway. anyways, on to the big stuff. We're gonna skip this next topic. We're gonna go straight to the Photoshop stuff because we're at about an hour right now, maybe Yikes. a little bit less than an hour. So this week, if you haven't heard, Adobe released. Photoshop CC 2015, but they also released actually pretty much updates to the whole entire Creative Suite or the Creative yeah, Cloud Creative application. Cloud. Uh, now, Cloud, yeah. the, it was previously called CC 2014, correct? Correct, yeah. So I wonder if this sort of spells maybe Adobe's going to try to do a yearly update. I know they do little updates all throughout the year, but yeah. sort of like the big grand update will be something that will maybe be like a once a year type deal. I think so. I think once a year, I, I do not have any knowledge of this, so I can talk about this or speculate about this. I do believe that once a year, they will release like a massive update, kind of like what they did this week. Right. And then maybe, you know, at Adobe Max later in the year, they'll release a new feature. Then maybe at Photoshop World, they'll release another new feature. They kind of like throw little things here and there. And of course, they'll have bug fixes occasionally throughout the cycle. But I do believe that once a year, there will be this massive update that updates Photoshop and Illustrator and After Effects, whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, I'll tell you what I wish they would fix. Speaking of uh, bug fixes, mm. the actual Creative Cloud down, like update downloader, uh, there are so many people, and, it ha and it's happened to me twice, try not just with this update. It did happen once with this update, but it happened with the previous update as well, where the updates download get to like 50% or 65% and then just stop. I mean, the whole thing just freezes. Computer doesn't freeze, but the Creative Cloud application freezes, and it doesn't let you download the updates. I forget what the fix is right now, um, but there is a way to work around it, but it's a pain in the neck, and it's something that's been going on, I think, pretty much since the Creative Cloud downloader uh, came into existence, and Adobe still hasn't I guess been able to fix it because they haven't fixed it. So I really wish they would fix that. Just you know, Adobe, if you're listening, hey, just an FYI, it'd be great to see that uh, little little thing fixed, um, so we can update. This was one of my concerns when CC first came out was this whole concept of updating and having flaws in updates and things like that. Uh, and actually, Justin Seeley had done a video and had mentioned stuff like plugins and things of that nature that you had in an older version of Photoshop that may not be compatible when you update Photoshop. Is that correct? Am, am I interpreting what he said correctly? 
That is correct, because the developers of those plugins have to update in order to for them to really work compatible. Some of them will transfer over properly, but mm. some of them will not work because you know the architecture of Photoshop has changed or features were moved, so the actions don't work properly. But when you are in your Creative Cloud desktop app, when you hit update, there's a new window that pops up that will allow you to hit the advanced settings and install, let's say, Photoshop CC or After Effects CC 2015 separately so you can keep 2014 and 2015 and you can kind of bounce back and forth until you until you have confirmation that all of your plugins are going to be working perfectly fine with 2015. Of course, there is the option to override 2014, but if you are listening to this and you haven't installed yet, I do recommend you hit that advanced setting option and you install 2015 separately so you can kind of test the waters with it first yeah so getting into some of the new features before we get to like photoshop cc i do just want to quickly touch on i saw a video of premiere pro cc 2015 um and specifically the raw footage handling capabilities now uh this guy was working with a, a clip from a black magic camera and the insane amount of detail that he was able to bring back from these overexposed highlights these clouds in the sky was solid white brought it completely back so you could see these beautiful blue tones get all this detail still in the foreground insane there's like a white balance slider uh, i believe there's a tint slider exposure all this other stuff that i've never seen in premiere pro before uh being used to this degree awesome to see it um, a lot of what i used davinci resolve for uh, was some of the stuff that i saw him doing in this uh, panel in Premiere Pro CC 2015, and I believe, believe, believe it's a new feature. I haven't confirmed that, but I am almost 100% certain, mainly because I don't see why he would have been creating this video gloating about this new feature if it wasn't a new feature, um, but it looked really great. It looked really, really cool, and if Premiere is moving in a direction that is going to allow me to handle raw footage like out of a Canon 5D Mark III with Magic Lantern, uh, and, and be able to really work with that raw footage like I normally have to uh, use DaVinci Resolve for, that'll be super cool. That'll be insanely awesome. I would love to you know really get in and try it out. I haven't actually jumped in and tried that out, um, but just a side note, if you're doing any kind of video, and specifically raw video, definitely something worth checking out. Yeah, so I, I don't do a lot of video work, so maybe explain this to me. When you're talking about raw video, um, the cameras that we shoot with, do they actually have the ability to shoot raw, very similar to like a DSLR yeah, shoots yeah. raw so, images? Right. So like a black, just to give it an example, when you when you shoot, when you take your Canon 60 and you flip it to 1080p uh, HD and you start recording, that's like JPEG of video. You can't do a ton of editing. You start tweaking the colors too much, you're going to start seeing the video fragment and fall apart and, you know, color banding and noise and, and all kinds of aberrations and things like that. Um, this raw video, yes, much like a raw image, uh, like the Black Magic, each frame is a DNG raw file. So, I mean, the, okay. the file, the, you can imagine the video file size is massive, but the <laughs> amount of of color grading you can do to the footage you get truly cinematic looking video and a 5d mark 3 i have Ma magic lantern installed on a 5d mark 2 right now uh for instance 
the 5D Mark II cannot go up to raw video, but Magic Lantern allows you to up the bit rate of the video so it's much bigger than your standard 1080p. And I think you could actually get Magic Lantern on your 60 as well, just an FYI. Um, but, uh, on, and, but here on the 5D Mark III, it can go all the way to a true raw video. You need the biggest, baddest compact flash cards or SD cards <laughs> because you need to be able to write. The write speed has to be crazy fast to be able to write the raw video to the card as quickly as the camera's shooting it. But the raw video, yes, massive files, huge files, but incredible detail. I mean, it takes, just do, go look around on Vimeo, some, you know, Magic Lantern raw versus non-Magic Lantern 1080p HD. It is mind-blowing. If you want to shoot video that looks cinematic quickly, you want to shoot, and the cheapest way right now, at least, is pretty much either one of these Blackmagic cameras or a Canon 5D Mark III is the, I believe, the least expensive camera um, with Magic Lantern installed on it. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, the difference is mind-blowing. There's no way to uh, describe it. But yeah, it's very much like raw image where you have an incredible uh, amount of dynamic range that you're capturing that is actually usable. Your, your video isn't going to start falling apart when you give it that crazy color grade that makes it look like, you know, a cinematic video. Interesting. So right now, a camera basically has to have this black magic, I guess it's a firmware installed yeah, yep, yeah. in order to get, do you, do you think that like regular cameras will ship with the ability to shoot raw video at some point? Yeah, I mean, I would think they would have to. It's you know, it's it's just a natural quality upgrade from your standard H.264 uh, encoded 1080p video. Um, so yeah, sure. I don't see why not right now. Probably not because you don't have CFast cards all over the place or the the super fast like 1066x uh, compact flash or SD uh, cards all over the place. So just not enough people are using it, which is why you need to kind of take the risk on a firmware upgrade like Blackmagic. Uh, or Magic Lantern, excuse me. Um, but yeah, no, I mean the black the Black Magic cin Pocket Cinema or regular cinema camera, uh, it's like twenty five hundred bucks for the camera, um, and it's insane video quality. I've got a buddy who's got the Pocket Cinema uh, or the Pocket Black Magic, whatever it's called, Black Magic Pocket, and it's it's crazy. I it, when people ask me about I want cinema cinematic looking video, that's that's the first thing I say is you want to shoot raw video. You need to. It's it it is the differentiating factor between video that looks like it came out of a DSLR, video that looks like it came out of a camcorder, and video that looks like it came from a production video camera. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good stuff. And it would actually, side note, it would be something that would be great. Uh, it's, it's one thing that I'm kind of curious about with the Sony a7 II is the ability to shoot raw video. I haven't done a huge amount of research, but with the big full-frame sensor and 4K, uh, but remember, it's not 4K. We're talking about pixel size, not depth of bit rate in the actual video image. So that's mm -hmm. where I would be interested to see, you know, what that depth is. You know, you can get a 30 megapixel point and shoot. That's 30 megapixels of crap. Or you can get an 18 megapixel Canon 1DX. That's going to be much higher quality. Give me the high quality over the crazy pixel count. Same thing with 4K. You can get 4K on any camera in theory, right, if you have the hardware. But I want high quality 4K. Where's that cinematic 4K? Yeah, totally. So Makes anyway, sense. <laughs> it's a, a big detour talking about video <laughs> there for a second. <laughs> but there also is one of the one of the features in uh, CC, I guess we could just say Creative Cloud 2015, is this linked assets, assets idea uh, to go along with your dongle. You can have linked assets 
uh, in the Creative <laughs> Cloud. And what it looks like is basically you take your master file like it's a smart object and it sits in the Creative Cloud, uh, whatever that is. It's, you know, just sits in that, that Creative Cloud folder or it's, I guess, really technically it's, it's up it's, there. Right. It's, it's linked to, you know, that, that, uh, that image that's in that video project you're working on that's in that digital illustration in Illustrator that's over in the magazine layout in InDesign and in Photoshop for the Facebook and social media everythings and then the client calls and says hey uh, can you make the guy's hair red instead of you know gray oh crap we've got 18 different images to replace well if you have that one master image that everything's drawing off of you edit the one master image and boom it gets updated all over the place yeah, it's it's really cool. Of course, in order to really make that work, you have to have a, you have to be on the internet to, to update everywhere. But um, if you are, if that file is also local, then it will update as well. So right. if you're you know at, at some coffee shop and you want to update files that are on your computer at home, you have to be somehow connected to the internet. Mm-hmm. But if all of the files are on your local computer as well as the Creative Cloud, then that will still update. So I, I've seen a lot of people complaining that everything is going to the cloud and you know they hate have being on, on the internet, which my response is, aren't you on the internet anyway all the time? Um, but the option is there. So anything that you store in your Creative Cloud account in terms of files is still stored locally. Nothing is ever only stored on the cloud. Right. So it's kind of cool. Um, and, you know, smart objects are becoming smarter and smarter. And now that they're kind of integrating with artboards within Photoshop, it's really cool. And I did a video, I think I showed this in my top five video, and I'm also going to be doing a separate video on artboards to show how easy it is to update one object within one artboard and they kind of it just shoots out to all the other artboards um so that was one of the bigger features that was released this week in adobe photoshop cc 2015 are artboards which traditionally has been available in illustrator and i've seen a lot of people kind of confused who aren't illustrator users that are now in photoshop and try out artboards and they have no idea what's going Mm on my my suggestion for that is just try it and play around with it and kind of learn how it can benefit your workflow a little bit. And once you actually start realizing that, you're not gonna be able to turn back. I mean, since I started using artboards, it's been like, the when I when I create a new document, I go straight to an artboard because I know exactly how I'm gonna be using it. And just like, as an example, today I was working on something for, for work and it required me to create multiple multiple designs that were kind of very similar. Mm. So traditionally, I would open up a document, create the design, maybe copy the document to another file, edit the design, copy it again, and there would be little bits and pieces of each document that would kind of share with the original document. But now with artboards, I would just copy the artboard and paste the artboard, like basically duplicate the artboard within the same document. And then if I had to update one of those files, one of those assets that are shared across the artboards, it's basically a smart object. I just double click on it, make one change, and it populates to all the other ones. So there's definitely huge benefits to using artboards, but you just have to dive in and start using them to really see how they work. Yeah, I agree. Artboards look really cool. And like, I mean, we talked about last week, it's not really like the big sizzly feature um, that's going to have people going like, whoa, yeah, so cool. 
um, but something that when you start using it, it's really, really useful. And if you're a professional using it or somebody that's using um, Photoshop for clients and things like that and dealing with any kind of um, change in like revisions, I guess I should say, revisions in general. Uh, it'll be really, really useful or something like that. Yeah, if you're doing web design or mobile design or some sort of design that requires multiple revisions, like you said, with layouts and things like that, you definitely want to use artboards. Yeah. Um, so another feature that Adobe has added this year in the 2015 update, which I didn't think when I first saw the preview of it, Terry White did a preview of the dehaze feature. And, you know, I, I saw the, the preview, which was, I think, a week or two weeks before Photoshop CC actually came out, and I hadn't used it at that point. Um, I thought it would be one of these gimmicky features that works on some photos and not others, but mostly not. And then I started using it, and I was actually blown away by how well this dehaze feature works. It's available in Lightroom and Camera Raw 9.1, I believe, within Photoshop CC 2015. Mm. And just like you can imagine, it reduces the haze in your images. And it does a very good job, even if your images isn't like necessarily hazy, but just kind of like whitewashed or lacking contrast. It doesn't really, I don't know, it, it's... It just works so much better than, see, usually I had an image in, in the video that I released. Typically, I would go in and probably increase the contrast. I would decrease the highlights, maybe decrease the exposure a little bit. I would fiddle around with a bunch of sliders right. to try to get the look I was looking for. But it still doesn't compare to what the dehaze slider, that one single slider was able to do. I was incredibly impressed with it. Yeah, and there have been some really insane examples of what the dehaze slider can do. A couple videos that I've seen um, already, people taking images that are kind of on the brink of nothing uh, to being pretty detailed images. The one thing I have noticed about the dehaze slider is um, it seems to oversaturate a little bit when it comes back. It does. Now that's as easy does, enough, yeah. you know, slide down the saturation or vibrance or even take it to yeah. another level, go to the hue saturation lightness slash grayscale tab in camera raw or uh, Lightroom and just selectively tweak the saturation of the colors that need tweaking. Um, but yeah, no, it looks like it's crazy powerful um, and all the more reason to shoot photos in the raw format if your camera can so handle it. Totally. And it does work with non-raw images, mm -hmm. but of course, like any sort of adjustment you're going to do, if you do have that raw image or you can shoot raw, there's just so much, so more, much data. more data. Yep, I agree. There's a new healing brush too, which uh, the healing brush is one of my favorite tools. I guess not really a new healing brush so much as a tweaked healing brush, uh, but it looks really, really neat. It, it, it Basically, typically you would sort of paint over an area and then when you were done painting, you know, lift your stylus or, you know, stop clicking the mouse button, release the mouse button, and then the heal would happen and you would see sort of how it blended with all of the colors around what you're trying to heal. So for instance, if I was healing a piece of hair that fell over somebody's lips, when you get close to the edge where you get, you go from the color of somebody's lips to the lighter or darker color of their skin off of the lips, uh, a lot of times that heel as you cross the transition gets kind of all funkied up. So with the new healing brush, basically as you heal without even letting go of the mouse you or the stylus, you are seeing the healing actually taking place and how it mixes with the colors around it. So if you have to double back and go over an area before you let go, you can do that. And then when you let go, there's no surprises. You see it, 
and you know there it is. I got it right the first time. I don't have to sort of play this wait and see game of retouch and then oh hey look at that. Uh, I need to go back and change that. Um, so that's really awesome. That's I, I I love the healing brush. It's maybe the most used tool that I use in Photoshop. I use it so much. Maybe not the most, but it's up there. Um, and I'm really happy to see that Adobe's taking some time to adjust it in some sort of way. I'm not expecting whole scale change, full scale changes. Um, but to know that they're giving it some love and some some TLC, um, that that kind of makes me happy because I don't I don't want it to go anywhere. I want it to get better, not worse. Of course, and that wasn't the only healing tool that they improved. They also improved the spot healing brush and the patch tool. Now, traditionally, when you're using both of those tools, you would make your heal, whether it's like a selection and you drag it with the patch tool, or you would just draw on an area with the spot healing brush tool. You would let go of your mouse and Photoshop would start spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and couldn't take, it could literally take minutes for it to figure out what it's going to heal. But now that Photoshop CC 2015 is utilizing the GPU a lot more than it was before, literally you can brush over the same exact area, let go and it's done. Like it, it was incredible when I first, actually in my 2015, in my top five video, I actually compared Photoshop CC 2014 with Photoshop CC 2015. And I didn't do any speeding up or any cuts or any fun stuff like that. And the speed difference is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, va boom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it so, sure so is. there's that. I uh, There's a couple things here that I really like. The multiple layer styles, that's pretty cool. I don't know how practical it's really going to be. Um, there's always a use for some of this stuff, though. Um, I don't know how, like far and wide how broad it's going to be something interesting to take a look at maybe make it like you know if you want to make a quick tutorial about it um sure go for it um people check it out people see what it's all about um i could probably count on one hand the number of times i've needed multiple drop shadows on the same object um and probably less than that the number of times that i should have put multiple shadows on the same <laughs> object a uh, multiple i kind of want to i kind of want to make a video just testing photoshop to see how many It'll allow you to yeah, do. Yeah, that would be that would be kind of funny. I think I'm gonna um, do that. The the multiple strokes, on the other hand, is kind of neat. There's a lot of retro effects and things like that that use multiple strokes. I would almost like the power to set a drop shadow on a specific stroke, though, because sometimes with those retro effects, the drop shadow seems to be coming from a specific size of, let's say, a mm. piece of type. Do you know what I'm saying? So not necessarily the outer yep. edge of the furthest reaching. Uh, stroke. So it'll be interesting to see how that all interacts in there. Uh, but yeah, so you got multiple layer styles. Not for all the layer styles, but for what would you say, about half of them? I don't know how many of those. Four, four yeah, of them? Yeah, I think off the top of my head, I think it's drop shadow, stroke, inner shadow, uh, color overlay, and gradient overlay. Yeah, so it's about half of them, I would say. But one of the cooler things I thought, more useful at least for me, photographically speaking, and maybe just digital art manipulation-wise, is... Uh, more real, they call it more realistic blurs, which when I first saw that, I was like, ooh, finally we can duplicate like bokeh and shallow depth of field. That doesn't seem like it's what they're talking about. They're just talking about the fact that you can choose to add monochromatic noise to the blur as you blur, which is great because a lot of times when you see color gradation or blurring in a photograph, there inherently is grain 
um, not necessarily because it's a bad image, but just grain being like a mix-up of color. Um, a lot of really good retouchers use these finishing re uh, retouch finishing layers, or everyone calls them different things. But let's just call it a, a finishing layer, which is essentially a layer of grain that sits above everything you're retouching because a layer of grain over everything you're working on in Photoshop just helps smooth it out. If you create a gradient and you're getting that banding on a gradient and you add some grain to it, the banding magically goes away because all of a sudden all the color is being blended much more smoothly. So being able to add noise to blurs is really cool. Um, I would do a lot of effects where I would add balls of light which would start out as these blurred circles of light and I would always go in and add noise to these after I created the blur. So just from kind of a selfish personal standpoint, I love seeing something like that. It's just something that's going to save me another 30 seconds when I'm retouching a photo when I can tweak the, the amount of uh, noise right there natively in the blur itself yeah i haven't I actually haven't used that feature yet because i don't do much artificial blurring but it's it's nice to see that they're adding these little tiny things here and there to kind of make your end results a little bit more real, realistic without having to go through additional steps absolutely um, one of the other little things that they added that really wasn't publicized anywhere is that when you're Creating a panorama within the panorama or within the photo merge window, you can now turn on a checkbox that's a, that allows you to automatically use content-aware fill once the process has completed um, stitching the photos together. So traditionally, you would open up photo merge, select your photos, Photoshop would do its thing and stitch the photos together, and you would have this massive transparent area. Um, after all the stitching is complete, then we have to go in and create a new layer, content aware fill, blah, 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 blah. But now with that checkbox, Photoshop will do that automatically for you. And I believe con the content aware algorithm has been improved a little bit. So you are getting a little bit better results than you were previously. You know what update I'm waiting for? You know what little Easter mm. egg, not talked about thing I'm waiting for? In so many of what? my tutorials, I have to teach people how to merge all visible layers to a new layer using the hidden hotkey control shift alt or command shift option e because it's not in any of the menus when are they going to add that to the menu and have it show up with the hotkey there's ways to merge all of your layers but not merge them all leave all your old layers and just create one new layer of all the layers Ah, interesting. It's, I never it, noticed I, that. It, I just and, use the shortcut. I don't know if the people at Adobe have noticed it because I'm always. I don't right. know. You should suggest it. Uh, so it's just one of those little things that I would love to see in there. So I could just say, "Hey, you can go layer, merge all layers, merge to new layer, boom, and there it is." But I can't yet hmm. because it's not there. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of like a little, a little thing. I just find myself telling people about it often. There you go. Um, there were also a bunch of other things. We'll quickly run down a few of them. There's this new technology that they're previewing that you can actually try out called Design Space. And it's basically geared at web and mobile designers. It really, it's like a stripped down version of Photoshop without all the other stuff that you're probably never going to use. It's a very flat, minimalistic version of Photoshop that's kind of like in a preview slash beta mode right now. If you go to your preferences in Photoshop, Command and Control, K and you go to technology preview, you can actually turn that on and there's a shortcut to enter design space and you can kind of play around with it. It's not there yet, but it's interesting to see that Adobe's kind of exploring this space to kind of give people the option of stripping out everything they're never going to use. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week about 
the possibility of Photoshop and Illustrator coming together as one application at some point in the future, yeah. if they're already thinking about introducing this additional version of Photoshop within Photoshop using some sort of a toggle or a switch, there's a very good, uh, you know, there's a possibility that these two applications may merge at some point in the future. Yeah, interesting slash scary to think about. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Um, you know, I mean, the, the software is almost 30 years old, both of them. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it could, it could happen someday, but I, yeah, with artboards, um, I, I've thought about that. Um, there's still some differences between Photoshop and Illustrator, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, um, if something like that happened. You can, uh, one of the other kind of new quick things, you can basically export right to a 3D printer now. So that's kind of cool with all mm. the advances in 3D tools. I don't use the 3D stuff that much. I really should get into it more, uh, than I have. Um, so that's really neat. Um, you can, there's a, what was that we had talked about earlier? I don't have the, the information up in front of me right now, but there was the, uh, ability to basically plug your phone into the computer and demo what it is you're working on right on your smartphone. If I recall correctly, yeah, there's a mobile device preview and basically you can get, was it called Adobe device preview? There's an app that you can download on your phone and your tablets and stuff like that. And you can connect either with your your cable directly to your computer, or if you're on the same Wi-Fi network, your phone and your computer is the same Wi-Fi network, you can basically work on your mobile designs and preview them directly on those devices, and they would basically update in real time. So if you're working on, let's say, a mobile app for the iPhone 6, and you have a bunch of artboards, when you connect the device preview, when you turn it on, it's going to, your phone's going to recognize, or the app on the phone's going to recognize that... You, on your computer, you have a bunch of artboards with the iPhone 6 dimension. So it's going to preview those directly on your phone. And if a button is too small, you can update it on your computer and it's going to shoot over automatically directly to your phone and you'll be able to see that update in real time, which is super cool. So if you're a web designer or a mobile designer and you're working on stuff for mobile devices, you're definitely going to want to try this out. Yeah, So then, and Adobe has a whole bunch of products uh, or product updates. They keep a cool page, adobe.com slash product slash Photoshop slash features.html. I don't know why they don't drop that within a directory. So it can just say products <laughs> slash Photoshop slash features non.html, but they haven't done that. Uh, you, there, I'll have a link over on the podcast uh, wrap up a blog post at touchvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 19. Um, and if you do want to check out some of the new features, I do have a bunch of them on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Studios. Yes. I have a top five video, and I think I have, right as of this recording, I have three separate videos on some of the features. I have another one coming tomorrow, another one coming the next day. Basically, every day I'm kind of dripping a new feature to kind of keep things rolling. Yeah, you got a top five video, and the rest of the videos are pretty top-notch, too. Um, do, <laughs> do you want to um, do you want to talk about E3 or are we gonna we think we should pass up on that because we are we're burning the midnight oil uh, very quickly E3 was also this week a um, lot. as a gamer myself I was super there was excited a lot. Was there was that? a lot right it seemed like there was a lot of stuff I'm not going to go through all of it um, overall it was a great experience uh, for the most part Microsoft and Sony killed it in a good way. Uh, Microsoft demoed HoloLens, which we've spoken about previously, this augmented reality, virtual reality type thing. They demoed it with like a Minecraft situation and it completely blew my mind. I was not sold on augmented reality or virtual reality, this HoloLens thing, mm. until I saw that demo. 
And I am very interested in what Microsoft and other companies are doing with this sort of technology. Yeah. I think there is a future. I was not sold until this. Right. Week. I thought I thought um, the big winner of the show was Nintendo. Didn't you? Didn't you have similar feelings about um, that? <laughs> I don't know what show you were watching, but Nintendo I, I thought was absolutely brutal. I think they tried too hard. I think the, the, what they announced was not really geared at, at what people wanted and. Nintendo seems to be tr- has been trying to kind of move away from childish games, but I felt that this year it was like a combination of even more childish games and a lot of what they call amiibos, which are these separate little figures that you can buy that integrate over NFC with your current games, which I just think is just they're overdoing it. They're trying to it's basically in-app purchases in real life, which is really getting on my nerves. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Anyways, that's beside the point. So, yeah, E3, overall, very good experience, but there were a few disappointments. And there was some Xbox One versus PlayStation 4 stuff, but yeah, that's basically that's basically E3 in about two and a half minutes. So, go. moving on from that, we have our quick six of the week. It's my turn to answer questions from you, Howard, and then we've got our winners yes. and losers of the week. And I guess we should also mention, we're, ha- we're going to have a show coming up. We got a really good question about something. Um, that we're going to end up turning into an entire podcast episode. Um, so those of you that are still listening at this point, we haven't said the magic word yet. All, all two of them. We you. haven't said the magic word yet. I think the word of the week should be hashtag dongle. What do you think? Uh, there right? you go. Dongle is good. So tweet at us yes. and use the word dongle in any way you can possibly um, imagine. So those of you that are still listening, if if there is a sort of a bigger question or a topic that you think would make a good podcast, something you'd be interested in, uh, that would it would be super cool to hear from you. We have our own ideas of things that we're thinking about for sort of full episodes where we focus on something. We've done one podcast where we it was a topic-based podcast where we talked about 10 ways to become a better designer. And it's actually – it did really well. A lot of people listened to it. It did do well. I think a lot of people liked it. So if there's stuff that you think would be a great podcast, something that you would be interested in hearing, it would be awesome to hear from you. You can contact either of us through our websites, either icefluestudios.com or – um, tutvid.com I've got a contact form there or you can just tweet it at us as well hashtag uh, use the hashtag we geeks and we'll both see it um, and something like that would be great but anyway on to the quick six of the week hit me with your best shot and fire away all right so uh, if you're not familiar with this basically every week we take turns one week I ask Nathaniel six very quick this or that questions and next week and you can kind of uh, uh, explain your answer if you want if it really requires it so question one twitter or facebook Tw- uh, uh, lately twitter i i like the amount of information i can share on facebook and i like the network but sometimes it's too much and i hate the fact that i basically have to pay for reach uh for my facebook page for instance uh so i gotta go you know actually i gotta go twitter Going just very quickly sidetracked from that, uh, I actually tried because I wanted to promote one of my latest Photoshop CC 2015 videos. So I tried to purchase, like I tried to boost my post and Facebook denied me because apparently the video contains trademarks, which is obviously Photoshop, but I didn't know that was even a thing. Wow. So I want to give them money and they turned my money down. But anyways, um, next question, reading or writing? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I would have to say reading. 
um, just because oh. reading is kind of like I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit more going. <sighs> no, there's not really more going on with reading. Reading is a little bit easier. Um, it's a different. I guess it's a different form of learning to think than writing. Writing is a good way to process what I'm learning, but when I'm reading, I feel like I'm actually learning. So I have to say reading, but writing is right up there. Um, uh, reading. Perfect. Uh, next, Google or Apple? Google for software, Apple for hardware. Mm, I like that. Uh, next, this is sort of a yes or no. If a single pill was announced tomorrow that would let you live indefinitely, would you consider it? No. Okay. Next, morning or night person? <sighs> Can I go with I hate sleep person? I love the morning. <laughs> I, 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 I'm very productive in terms of like getting stuff done around the house, working out in the morning, early afternoon hours, but from like 1130 to three o'clock in the morning, I feel like I'm more productive and I get more productive as I get later into the night. So in that sense, night person, um, but I love the morning. I, I, I don't necessarily love the night, but I know I'm really productive at night. I love the morning though. So uh, hmm. I like them both. I, I'm probably not, there's probably not, I don't know. I know most people are kind of either or. I have to say both. Can I cut out sleep? Which I can't do, but I wish I could. <laughs> Maybe one day, I yeah. don't know. Um, and finally, art boards or standard documents in Photoshop? Um, I have to, I'd still have to stick with standard documents because there's a comfort level there and there's a familiarity there. So until I use artboards more and I see how they're going to work into my workflow, my image retouching, which I don't necessarily see how I can, I'm going to use artboards for image retouching, not right now at least. Um, I got to stick with standard Photoshop documents, but the, the eye that's looking forward is saying this artboard thing is interesting, not necessarily for the sake of being artboards for, but for all the implications that come with uh, artboards in Photoshop and what that involves. I'm going to be recording a video on some of the differences between Illustrator and Photoshop, and I'll be talking about some of what I think are the differences between Photoshop and Illustrator and where artboards are heading in a direction to kind of change or uh, close the gap a little bit, if you will. Um, so I got to say traditional Photoshop document for now, um, but by no means is that me, you know, turning a blind eye on these artboards. So mm. that is it for the quick six for this week. Good questions. I enjoyed it. I hope you guys did. Uh, now on to winners and losers of the week. Did I give my winner and loser first last week? I don't remember. I think so. Um, I think so. All right, so, so you want to go first this week? and, and... Sure. All right. So my loser of the week is kind of like, it's, he's kind of a loser, but it's it's a very amusing loser. It's this German guy and his wife, him and his wife were getting divorced. They were together for 12 years and... I'm not a big fan of divorce, but um, the, the story was kind of funny, but it's at the same time, it's like, why would you do something like this? So, you know, they were together for 12 years, and as most people do when they get divorced, they kind of just split everything in half. Mm -hmm. This guy went a little bit further, and he literally split everything in half. He took the TV, and he took like a, a chainsaw, and he split it in Hans, half. And gave bring me the chainsaw. I'm her. going to cut the TV He's in half. Bring me the chainsaw, please. <laughs> he split his bicycle, his couch, his cordless phone, his laptop computer, and a stuffed dog. Oh, a bed and, and a car. He actually split his car in half. And I'll send this link over to you, Nathaniel, because you haven't seen these beforehand. Um, 
There are pictures of the car and the phone. Well, I will and have the to. I will have dog. to definitely include this in the blog post so you guys can see this because this is <laughs> it's something else. <laughs> he actually split this stuff in half, but so it's amusing, but definitely some loserous thing. Whatever, don't do it. Um, <laughs> the winner of the week is actually you know she's a winner, but it's a very sad story. It actually came from the town I'm living in, Longmont, Colorado. Um, this little eight-year-old girl just passed away. That's not the winner part. Um, her name is Maddie, and she was a soccer player, and she was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is some sort of deadly bone cancer. Um, doctors gave her two, month to, two months to live. She actually only lived two weeks past the diagnosis. Um, but the one thing that she wanted, she just she said shortly before her death that she just wanted to make a difference in the world and that actually resonated to a lot of people throughout not only the community here but all across the internet and people have made facebook pages um basically the whole pay it forward campaign Mm -hmm. in her memory and they are that facebook page is now dedicated to doing you know inspiring things and nice things to other people who may not be fortunate all under Maddie's name. So I think that was super cool of the community and all of the internet for stepping up and kind of fulfilling the wish of Maddie that she just wanted to make a difference in the world. Yeah, when you're frustrated because Sprinter and TNT is throttling your data, it's a story like this that kind of makes you stop and say, you know what? I'm not curing cancer. I just want to look at Instagram or Tumblr or Twitter and I can't right now. It'll yeah. be okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's sad, but definitely super, super duper cool. All right, so my winners and losers of the week. Uh, loser of the week, uh, February 17, 2014, 24-year-old Charles Clark uh, was flying home after spending several weeks with his family in Cincinnati. Uh, he arrived at the Cincinnati slash Northern Kentucky International Airport in Hebron, Kentucky, for a flight back to Orlando, Florida. He got pulled aside for something, and he had $11,000 cash in his pocket, which got to have big pockets for that, but uh, which apparently was a culmination of five years' worth of savings from various jobs, financial aid, gifts from family members, things like that. Um, he checked his bag and headed to the gate, and at, at some point, either he was pulled aside or his bag was yanked aside, and they seized his money. And he ha- this is, we're well over a year beyond it. He hasn't gotten it back. They say basically, look, we're not giving it back to you. Um, he was never charged with a crime. They said that they brought a drug dog out and the drug the drug dog detected drugs in his bag, uh, but they never found any drugs. He, they, they've acknowledged he wasn't doing anything illegal. All he had was $11,000 in cash on him. The police seized it. They haven't given it back. Total idiot move uh, of the police there is a really interesting very short documentary on youtube uh, about police seizing money i wish i had the name of it i'm going to try to find it and put it in the blog post really really interesting watch i highly recommend that you watch it it uh, it it kind of highlights that local police are doing this they've got several stories a small business owner in this one town of course this this guy charles clark he's a black guy so you know there's some racial profiling going on more than likely um there was another black guy in this short uh documentary who had a, a business a rest a small restaurant in this town he drove the next town over to go buy some new equipment for his kitchen. He had X whatever, how many thousand dollars with him. They basically are allowed to assume now that anything above, I think it's $10,000 that you're carrying with your person uh, is drug money. Uh, how they can assume that, I don't know. But this documentary basically 
it sort of highlights the fact that the police get to take this money and split it between them as the spoils of war, and you pretty much, you're not getting it back, even if it turns out you were totally innocent. You're basically SOL, you're up the creek without a paddle, um, and they go la-di-da on their merry way um, with, you know, an extra few thousand dollars in their pocket or more, um, depending on, I mean, my local police station, I think they've got three police officers, uh, so, you know, an $11,000 haul, you're talking about, well, you know, just under 4000 bucks uh, a person. So, you know, just give the kid his money back. Stop. Can we Can we please stop? Um, you know, I mean, this is ridiculous. He hasn't done anything wrong. It's money. We're not talking about, you know, legalized marijuana that he's traveling across the border with or something. I could at least see from a legal standpoint why you would get all, you know, get your panties in a bunch about that. But it's legal U.S. tender. Give me a break. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and you know, there's... In my eyes, that's straight up theft. Yeah. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my winner of the week is Donald Trump has announced that he's running for president, which is great. Not because I'm interested in voting for him. I'm not interested in voting for anyone this this election cycle around. I don't care who runs. Both major parties in this country are running the ship into the ground. But Donald Trump will at least, there's so, I mean, he kind of writes his own jokes. It's it's I don't know. It's awesome. It's it's going to be so hilarious to follow this election cycle around. Part of me hopes he makes it out of the Republican primary. I, he's not going to, but part of me really hopes um, because he's just I, he's just a hilarious character. It's hilarious. Do you follow him on Twitter? He he just I I, I don't. Could, I could no. swear he says stuff just to get people riled up and like call him an idiot and this and that. You just you wouldn't look at him and, and say, yep, there's a fine politician or there's a, or that's kind of an oxymoron. There's a guy who's a, who's a politician. <laughs> um, it, I don't know. He's, he's a character and I think it's going to kind of make the whole thing pretty funny. It is kind of exciting. I did watch some of his, someone spliced together some of the best quotes of his announcement um, for candidacy and some of the quotes that he said, I mean, he was just going on about how rich he is <laughs> and how he sold an apartment complex to a Chinese guy for $15 million or something. And I was sitting there thinking, what does that have to do with anything? Once you get into office, that's not going to, you know, none of that is going to make any sort of a difference that you sold an apartment complex to a Chinese guy. Um, And doesn't matter how rich you are. I mean, none of this matters. You're just a fool. But anyway, but it's going to be incredibly exciting. I am really looking forward to it. That is that. And I guess that will pretty well put a bow on the end of our longest episode yet. Oh, wow. It's right. Well, my timer right now says 143. Yeah, that's right about where I am as well. Uh, put a put a cap on our longest episode yet. Episode number 19. We're trying to keep it somewhere between like 60 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes. But there was, there was, it's so, every week we put together the list of stuff that we're going to talk about throughout the week. And we get to the point we try to cut down, cut out anything that we absolutely don't have to talk about. And uh, there's just, there's always so much stuff going on. And then we get talking and talking and talking. And that's that. So that's pretty much episode 19. It's been real. It's been good. It's been good. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and all that fun Mm -hmm. stuff. I'm at Iceflow Studios. Nathaniel is at Tutvid. We're on YouTube. We're on everything. I'm not on Snapchat, but Nathaniel's on Tut, Snapchat. Tutvid.com. That's the username, Tutvid. Dot, as in the period, dot, Tutvid.com, just like you would type into your browser. And you can follow me on Snapchat. I put stuff up every once in a while. I was doing my little shooting table thing yesterday with this world map. I kind of Snapchatted me. I cut my finger open mm. with a screwdriver. That was nice. Uh, but yeah, so I've got all that on on Snapchat, so that's fun. So for the next about 
well, it's probably actually gone by now. Uh, but, yeah, so I Snapchat every once in a while. But, yep, that'll pretty much do it. Thank you guys for hanging out. Remember, the word of the week is dongle. We could just say hashtag dongle. Uh, there we go. And that'll just... I think I'm going to call this episode Let's Talk Dongles yeah. or something. <laughs> that'll pretty much wrap it up for episode 19 of the We Geeks podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We'll see you later. See you next week for episode number 20.